Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, it's Candice. And Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. That's right, but surprise, we don't. We don't, and that's <laughs> cool. I mean, it is cool. It's okay to not have it all figured out. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in our world right now. And, you know, we started this podcast to try to become better individuals and learn how to be better and I am so incredibly inspired by our guest today and the conversation that we have with her. She's truly a force to be reckoned with. Um, there are so many things that she's accomplished um, and so many things that she will continue to accomplish. Um, Candace, who are we sitting down to talk with today? We are sitting down with Senator Jennifer McClellan, who is an American politician of the Democratic Party. She served as a delegate for 11 years before winning a Senate seat in 2017, representing the 9th District in Greater Richmond, Virginia. She's led Virginia's bills to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which passed earlier this year. We're going to talk all about it. Uh, protect pregnant workers from discrimination and the mandatory ultrasound law and other restrictions on abortion access. She has helped stop housing discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community, among many others. She was also the first woman to be pregnant while in office, not once, but twice. 
And as someone who is very pregnant right now and who's just like chilling at home, like I'm very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> um, she is currently running to be the governor of Virginia in the upcoming elections. And if she is elected, she will be the first black woman to become governor of not only Virginia, but she will be the first black woman to become governor ever in the whole country. So this is very exciting. We both did a lot of research. How much research did you do to prepare for this interview? A ton. And not only that, but, you know, anytime we discuss politics, I know you and I get a little nervous to have these conversations, but I could not have been more comfortable discussing things with her. She's just truly exceptional. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Senator Jennifer McClellan. And we are back with Senator Jennifer McClellan. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to be talking with you. We have a million questions. <laughs> well, thank you, Candace and Kayla. I'm very excited to be here. I always wonder, did you, for anyone who uh, works in public office, like, did you always know that you wanted to run for public office? Or was this something that came up later in life? So both kind of. When, when I, I got interested in government and politics when I was 11, um, because I'm a huge nerd, a huge history buff. Um, my parents were older. They, they grew up during the depression. Um, and just listening to their stories and our family stories and history, I came to decide that, um, government could either be a force for positive change and solving problems or a force that oppresses people. So at 11, I thought like, Oh, I want to be a part of that, but I didn't know what that meant. And then I watched a TV movie about uh, John F. Kennedy and got hooked. And the more I read about him and, and, and just different um, presidents, I was like, that might be fun one day. But I, I started out more as a young Democrat and a community activist and thought maybe one day after I get married and have kids and retire, then maybe I'll run. But in 2005, my delegate, the state legislature, ran for lieutenant governor and friends started saying, like, you should run, you should run. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I kind of do want to be the one running and writing laws. And uh, so I decided to run then. And then I got married and then I had kids and I have not retired. But <laughs> <laughs> you have definitely not retired. You've, in fact, no. done the exact opposite. Um, yeah. Now, you grew up in Petersburg, Virginia. Do, uh -huh. You're a true Virginia native. Did your parents grow up there as well? And what did they do? No. So my dad was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and he was a college professor and a pastor. Um, and my mom grew up on the Gulf coast of Mississippi. Um, she was the youngest of 14 kids and was actually the first one in her family to go beyond the eighth grade. And, um, wow. when they met, they met in Arkansas, they both worked at Arkansas state university. My mom was in food services and my dad was a professor. Um, they met, they got married. My oldest sister was born. Then they moved to Kentucky. My middle sister was born and then they moved to Virginia and I was born and they figured they better not move anymore. So. <laughs> and by then she, she became a counselor. Um, she had started doing early childhood education and then um, was a counselor for at-risk college students at Virginia State University. And that's where uh, they both worked by the time I was born. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I love that you say that 
you know, the kind of the spark and the idea of, you know, going into politics as a career, just, you know, dreaming as a young child kind of came from you. Um, did your parent, did you feel like looking back that you saw that your parents would try to like lead you guys into being, you know, thinking, having those thoughts like that, that was possible? Or do you feel like that was kind of separate? Um, they led us to believe we had to do some kind of community service. Um, you know, nobody in either side of the family ever remotely ran for office. Um, and, and actually I, I started volunteering with the young Democrats and I couldn't drive yet. So they would, they would drive me all over, uh, the state. And then, um, they actually got involved because of me. So it was actually, it was really the opposite. Um, That's awesome. that I, I'm interested. I mean, they voted and, you know, we were that family that watched the six o'clock news at dinner and talked about current events and all that kind of stuff. So they voted. Um, my dad was actually very active in the civil rights movement. Um, but they never in their wildest dreams thought that anybody in our family would, would run for office, let alone their daughter. I mean, there were a lot of signs growing up. I mean, you're 11 and you're interested in politics while most 11-year-olds have boy crushes and are into, you know, Candace and I were into Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. So <laughs> your your cool factor is already there. Oh, okay. I'll let you know a little secret. The whole reason I watched that miniseries, and I'm going I'm to give my age now, um, was it was the night, the day after it was supposed to be on. And we didn't have cable and I was too scared to watch that. But Martin Sheen played... Kennedy and I had a huge crush on Emilio Estevez. So I'm like, I want to watch this movie instead. And then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks, Emilio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at what point did you know that you wanted to become a lawyer? I mean, what an incredible, I'm sure your mom, obviously, you, there's so many things you've accomplished at this point, but, you know, hearing that your mom was the first of her family to go past the eighth grade. And then now her daughter is becoming a lawyer. Um, wh when did you make that decision as you uh, got older? So it was really when I decided I wanted to go into government. So my grandfather, my dad's father um, was a lawyer. Um, he had, after his, his wife, my grandmother died, he went back to school, became a lawyer um, and the, again, the more I read about government and, and read about the civil rights era, it was the lawyers who made things happen through these like amazing cases. Um, and, and so I decided I was going to go, I wasn't sure I was going to be a practicing lawyer. I actually, when I went to law school, wanted to be legal counsel to a congressional committee, um, but then Republicans took over while I was in law school and I was like, I don't want to work for them. So, uh, <laughs> just practicing at a firm. Um, and, and, but I, I kind of, you know, I did have with my grandfather some sense of, of what lawyers did and, and, and originally thought like, that's how I'm going to change the world is like helping other people make policy. Um, but it has been very helpful, um, being a lawyer and being a, a legislator. I'm sure. I mean, before diving into your current platforms, we want to talk a little bit about the bills that you have led to pass in Virginia, um, especially since they were what I would assume incredibly personal uh, at the time. Can you discuss working on the Equal Rights Amendment, which passed this year in January? Yes. Yeah, so every, every single year um, it was introduced and it would go nowhere 
And then after um, Nevada and, and Illinois passed it, that's when it really got legs. And I remember sitting in a committee in 2018 uh, one of my colleagues, Scott Cervell, was carrying it. And I, and I remember looking around the room and it was full. Everybody in the audience was a boomer white woman. And the only women of color in the room was uh, a senator who was on the dais. And, and, and I was like, this doesn't look right because black women are impacted by inequality. We need to be part of this fight. Um, I started thinking about like in the suffrage movement, how black women were part of it, but never got attention. Um, and so started talking to a lot of the advocacy groups and was like, you know, we really need women of color leading this fight. Um, and so I agreed to carry it. Um, well, first we spent a year sort of traveling around the state um, raising awareness. There were a lot of people who thought the ERA was already the law. Um, and so we started really building a grassroots movement, but also intentionally getting younger women and women of color to see that, you know, you need this too. Um, and then it, uh, it helped that we had a brand new election and Democrats took the majority last November, and then we got it through. And what was amazing is on the Senate side, um, Senator Louise Lucas, who is president pro tem of the Senate, she's the first African-American woman to, to be in that role. She presided the day that it passed. Mm. And I still, like, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. When I stood up on the floor um, and said, Madam President, you know, I moved passage of the resolution. Like, I, I w that moment will stick with me forever. It was just so amazing. And um, I was just really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, it's moving. That moment is so moving. That's why yeah. you do what you do. <laughs> and I, I would love to say that like I knew all about the ERA before talking with you, but it actually kind of took me... It, it was a little bit of an educational process, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, so what happens now? Because Virginia was the 38th state to pass the amendment. Um, but the deadline was in 1982. Yeah. And so what what happens now? Is it just continuing to have more states pass the amendments? And then, yeah, this is my question for you. <laughs> like, and actually, there's actually, there's two things happening. There's a lawsuit and there's, there's a bill in Congress to get rid of the deadline. There's, there's really, you know, a lot, a big question about whether that deadline was even legal to begin with. And I, I think the answer is no, but um, there were, I think four different, state attorney generals, including Virginia, filed a lawsuit to force the National Archivist to, to certify that the amendment is part of the Constitution. Um, and then there's some states that tried to rescind their ratification, but again, there's no legal process for that either. Okay. Um, so on one track, you've got the lawsuit, and but then we're hoping that Congress will just pass a law getting rid of the, the deadline altogether, and that'll just it to bed because it's just outlying sex discrimination that's it yeah yeah <laughs> like that's that that's it i know shocking and radical right <laughs> yeah why would the why would states want to rescind that you know um i don't know so the the, the era really hit a roadblock 
in the 70s when there started to be this view that it got tied up in abortion politics, partially. Mm-hmm. It got tied up in sort of the social conservative agenda. And that's how it stalled. And so I think while that was happening, some of those states, like I think Tennessee was one of them, that were led by conservative legislator legislatures thought like, you know, wait a minute, we don't want like abortion on demand for everybody. And we don't want like girls and boys living in the same dorms because like chaos will ensue, which are actual arguments we heard on the floor in Virginia, by the way. Um, <laughs> so they, th- I think that's why, um, but it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Well, I'm glad it doesn't make sense to you either because it didn't make sense to me at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At all at all. Well, we want to talk about the... I'm uh, actually seven months pregnant right now. And so I... Thank you. So I just love uh, just your experience being pregnant um, twice uh, while on the floor. You were also the first breastfeeding member of the House of Delegates. Um, So I want to talk about the Pregnant Worker Fairness Act... Um, that you helped pass and yeah. uh, and that whole experience of also being pregnant and the first breastfeeding member. Like, do you feel like you had to teach people? Was it a teachable moment? Did you, do you feel yeah. like you set the bar for other mothers who'd be working? Yeah. Um, and at least I've been told that. So mm, um, I, I remember, and what was crazy about it was, so I, I was pregnant um I was pregnant in, in 2010. I was in my first trimester. So it wasn't public yet. And that was actually the first year you probably remember in 2012 when Virginia was the laughingstock for passing that mandatory ultrasound bill. And it was like a transvaginal ultrasound. And that was the first year that made it to the house floor. And again, you already know I'm a nerd. So when I got Hmm. pregnant, I had to know everything that could possibly happen good or bad. And my, the doctor that did my ultrasound started talking to me about how abortion laws impact all kinds of pregnancies. And he started telling me these stories about like a patient who had a hole in her heart that she, you know, she couldn't get pregnant. She was on birth control, got pregnant and had to decide between putting her life at risk um, to carry the child to term. You know, tell me about a friend of mine who lost her pregnant, she suffered fetal demise in the seventh month, had to get a DNC, which is technically an abortion. That ultrasound law would have applied. And so I stood up on the house floor with only three people in the entire building knowing I was pregnant, Mm. telling these very personal stories about pregnancies that went wrong and how that bill would have made those tragic situations worse. And I remember being stopped in the grocery store um, in the halls of the Capitol by people saying like, that happened to me. Like you told my story mm. and these stories that had never been told in the house before. Um, and we were able to kill the bill that year. Um, but then the unfortunate passed a couple years later. And then I remember, so that was a 2010 session. And then there were the weird things like my pregnancy was outed on a, like on an anti-choice blog um, oh, which geez. was weird. And then like when people found out I was pregnant, they were like, Oh, so I guess you're going to retire. And I was like, well, why would I retire? And they're like, well, cause you're going to like have to take care of your baby. And I'm like, well, you know, 
there was a guy, Chris Peace, who got elected the same year as I did. His wife was expecting a baby three months after me. And I'm like, mm. well, did you ask Chris if he was going to retire? Oh, I love that so you said that. I love yeah, it. So I'm like dealing with that. And then the following session was when I was nursing and I pumped just enough. I had a really hard time uh, breastfeeding at first. Um, and I pumped just enough to get through daycare. So if we were still on the floor or still in session, my husband would have to bring my son, Jack. And I remember one time, again, it was another abortion bill. I think it was the ultrasound bill again, um, cause it hadn't passed yet. And I was in the queue waiting to speak. My husband was downstairs, you know, texting me like, you know, you gotta get down here. Jack's hungry. And I'm like, like I'm in the queue to speak. And when it was finally my turn and I got up and I told those stories and I spoke against the bill again. And he said in the room where they were was a TV. And he's like, Jack is like screaming his head off. And then he heard my voice and he like looked at the TV and saw me and stopped and was like transfixed. And then as soon as I finished speaking, I like ran downstairs to nurse him. Cause I didn't have the courage then to nurse on the floor. Cause you know, I was the first one who had ever nursed anyway. And just trying to get this institution that had been around for almost 400 years to understand like you've got to accommodate my ability to nurse you've got to like find a room give me breaks um was weird mm. um but then this year well in 2017 we had uh kathy tran who had just had a baby was elected and then that next session she nursed on the floor yes and to see her nurse on the floor just like filled me with so much pride. Cause I was just like, you know what? That's like, that's not even a question for her. Mm. But for me, it was this whole, like, you know, we got to do what? We, like things they had never thought about because no one ever had to do it before. Well, and that is just a perfect example of why we all need to join in this together because you were the trailblazer in being the first breastfeeding mom, right? And then now she gets confidence from that and is like, okay, no, now I'm going to breastfeed on the floor. And so we can each, you know, help each other in this whole process. I have to tell you, you inspired me by, I was watching this YouTube video of you. You're making floor remarks on the fetal abnormalities budget amendment. And you are so pregnant and you are standing in front of a bunch of white males telling them if you think you know better than the mother who has the baby inside their belly or the family who is struggling and having to make these financial decisions, then you can vote no. And you are looking right, looking at them right (laughs) in the eye. And it is you are such a force when you speak. There is such conviction and it's just incredibly inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, And, you know, there were a couple of times going back to your question about the education. So I I had a bill before the pregnant worker fairness dealing with um, teachers and and requiring schools to have lactation policies for teachers and students. And I remember a senator, uh, I was in the house then, he's like, well, can't they just retrain their breasts or can't they just (laughs) nurse during (laughs) hour?" And I was like, no, because she's probably been there since six. Her lunch hour is probably 12. And let me tell you what happens if you don't pump. And, and then, you know, I started going into great detail. He's like, okay, never mind, never mind. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go, yes. 
You're like mastitis. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just lead exactly. with that. Yeah. It is so. crazy how many laws everyone's trying to control for like while the mother is still pregnant, but then no one wants to make any laws for when like the baby is born for the mother or the child's well-being. Yeah. It's just a really interesting yeah. thing. It Yeah, it boggles my mind. Um, I just want to go back for one second because you spoke about how um, you always thought, oh, after I get married, after I have kids, after I retire, then I'm going to run. Right. And that is such a mentality. I completely understand that mentality and how we women, there's such a double standard We're we're supposed to, you know, think this way and we're brought up thinking this way. We're expected to work like we don't have children. We're expected to mother like we don't have a job. I mean, why do we feel this way? Why does society put this on us? And what helped change your mentality so that you could just dive in and make change? Uh, that's a really good question. I think because I knew I could help people and it, it, and my, and my motivation changed after I became a mom, to be honest, it was, it was before it was, how do I help people who don't have the same resources or don't have the same network, um, or experience that I do? And how do I just make Virginia a better place? Um, then when I became a a mother, it was, I'm doing it for them and, and their future as well as other, other kids. And especially, you know, I'll be honest, this year has been really tough with, you know, coronavirus and, and especially after George Floyd. And, and I remember thinking how, and what motivates me now I'm fighting the same fights that my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents fought. And as I look at Jack and Samantha, I say, how do I look them in the eye and tell them I did everything within my power to keep them from fighting those same fights. If I don't every day, even when I'm tired, even when I'm frustrated, even when I face defeat, putting myself out there to do the most I can do to keep them from fighting those same fights. And, um, and it's really, I mean, that's why I do it and, and how I keep motivated when it gets hard and, and it's, and it is a sacrifice because we always feel like we have to put everybody else's needs above ours. And when you take on like that added responsibility of like, I've got to help like all of society, um, it's, it's hard, but it's important. So that's what kind of keeps me going. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back well we have a list of um many of your legislative accomplishments um obviously we discussed the era um creating a state-based health exchange under obamacare you participated in passing the historic clean economy act raising minimum wage um, expanding tenant rights and protections creating school construction and modernization commission um legislation to end in discrimination i mean the list goes on and on um (laughs) But in reading this incredible list and and all the things that you're are currently uh, part of your platform, 
obviously, like, especially right now in 2020, there's a lot of change that is happening and there's a lot of change that needs to happen. How do you keep from feeling overwhelmed and how do you prioritize in taking it one thing at a time? I think by recognizing that any progress is good. Um, when we, when we took back, so that list you just read, that was just this year. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, um, but I say that because it, it, so this is my 15th session and there are a lot of things that we were pushing for, for that entire time. So it was like, okay, now that we have the majority, it's like, why wouldn't we go for it all? But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, if I can't get 100% of what I want, how far can I go? And is this hard, And is that better than status quo? Then you take that win, you rest for a minute, and then you push to keep going. Um, and at the end of the day, knowing that I've helped somebody or I've made a significant impact in policy for the better, is really all I need to keep going. Mm. Um, You know, I've been at it enough where I can see change that I've made, Even you know, not just from bills I've introduced, but like a question I've asked in committee that killed a bad bill or an amendment I offered that made a bill better. And, And those are things like a lot of people don't pay attention to, but I've seen either individual people who have said, hey, you helped me or groups or organizations or just policy that has made a difference that I'm like, all right, that's what I'm, that's why I got in this to begin with. It wasn't, I mean, it certainly wasn't the fame. Um, definitely wasn't the money. <laughs> and, um, but it's that like rush, frankly, that I get from saying, you know what? I saw a problem and I did something about it mm-hmm. and I may not have a hundred percent solved it, but I made it better. Um, and that's what, that's what keeps me motivated. How I prioritize really depends on, you know, I think in politics, we too often silo issues and forget to look at a holistic community or a holistic person and recognize how interdependent issues are. So you can't talk about, like, look, right now, you can't talk about how do we rebuild our economy if you're not talking about education and childcare and family friendly policies that help workers. And you can't talk about the economy without talking about how do we break our dependence on fossil fuel based industries that make it harder for us to live in healthy communities and, and, and be healthy. Um, and so I will often look at issues holistically and decide like, what has to get done right now versus what do we need to start doing to make progress down the road? Um, So that's kind of how I prioritize, but it's tough because, you know, there are a lot of, and and ERA was actually a really good example where you had a lot of people who were saying like, look, I have problems like right now I'm being evicted. You know, I've lost my job. Um, How, do I focus on this theoretical thing that may or may not happen when I have immediate needs right now? And part of it is trying to make that connection between how long-term policy 
is also important to short-term needs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really okay. well. No, it's so it's so inspiring just to listen to you speak. We could go on forever. Um, what what we also want to talk about uh, is Monument Avenue. And yeah. this is, you know, a huge topic right now. Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. You were a patron for the bill allowing local officials to move Confederate monuments. Can you talk about what this means to you? I know you've openly spoken about what it felt like to pass those monuments every day to work while you're constantly trying to fight change. What does that mean to you? You know, it's funny. Um, so I live right around the corner from the big giant Robert E. Lee statue. Um, and I never really looked at it until mm-hmm. when the, when the protest started after George Floyd. Um, and I never realized how much emotional energy I spent ignoring it because it triggers a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relief that I felt when I heard the words from our governor now, you know, I'm ordering that statue taken down. Um, and then I went to do, I, I was doing an interview and I went to do pictures for it and I, I went a little early and I took a real hard look at not only the statue but the reclaiming of it and that space there were like african-american families taking graduation pictures and family pictures and I was like you know what we can finally start that healing process that never fully happened after the civil war and reconstruction and so that's what it means to me for that monument to come down But it also means we have to, you know, I have a role to play and we as a society have a role to play in telling our complete history and our our full story. Because for a lot of people, some of my neighbors included, that statue tells a story of, you know, the lost cause and pride in the South and veterans and a love of Virginia. And it's like, yeah, but they were fighting to keep my ancestors enslaved. They were put up at a time and in response to the rising political, social, and economic power of my people. And they were put up as part of a movement along with racial terror lynchings and laws that put Jim Crow into effect to say to my people, stay in your place. So on the one hand, that's what they trigger for me is all that pain. But knowing I drive past that statue every day to the building that was the former capital of the Confederacy to pass laws to make life better for everybody is, is incredibly empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm ready for it to come down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, we all are. Yeah. So what is, what is happening with that? Because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is the only Confederate statue left standing yeah. right now. In, okay. Is it continuing to stand or is it being taken down? Well, so that one is owned by the state. And um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lawsuit right now that I think goes to trial soon to, to see if the governor had the power to take it down or not. Um, and if they find that he didn't, my guess is we can fix that in the legislature because it's state on property. Um, and, uh, so it will come down. It's just a matter of time. Can't come down soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we want to talk about, uh, 
you, the fact that you're obviously running to be the governor, you, you said the current governor of Virginia, but you're running to be I'm the governor yet. of Virginia. <laughs> um, something else I learned uh, in researching for this episode is that not all states vote for their gubernatorial elections at the same time. Right. Virginia is one of those um, that is they're in off numbered years. So uh, essentially, if you live in Virginia, you would be voting in 2021. Just a fun fact for if anyone's listening (laughs) (laughs) and needed to learn that like I did. Um, But what a time to be running for office. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Did you always plan on running in 2020 or did you was this a decision? Were you no. like, 2020 is my year. Like this was all of us last year, New Year's, like 2020 guys. <laughs> I know if we only knew. Um, right. No, actually, I, so I, I used to joke, any Virginia politician that tells you they don't want to be governor is a liar. So I always <laughs> wanted to be governor, but I never really thought about running. Um, and it was another like maybe one day after I've done everything I feel like I can do in the legislature. And, you know, last year we made news again um, with some scandals in February. And um, I started thinking about how we really needed to heal again as a Commonwealth that, that people were doing okay, but not everybody. And maybe in 2025, I'll run for governor. Um, But the more I thought about it last year, I was like, you know what? We're at a critical moment as a Commonwealth. And then, um, so I pretty much made up my mind last year, but not quite. um, Because I really liked being in the majority and passing 49 bills. (laughs) 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 But COVID kind of sealed it. Because it was like, we, we are at a critical moment as a nation, but also as a commonwealth on w- who are we going to be? Are, are we going to be a commonwealth that finally addresses 400 years of systemic inequity that rebuilds in a way that also rebuilds trust that people have lost in government's ability to solve problems and do jobs and, and you know, solve, solve problems and help people? Are we going to be a commonwealth that brings people together to solve our problems or just continues to fight and divide and conquer? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what really pushed me to run now. Um, and it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, am I doing everything in my power to stop these problems so my kids don't have to fix them if I'm not running for governor, which is the most powerful office in the state that sets the agenda for public policy in the legislature. So that all is why I decided to run and why I decided to run now. What I love so much about your story is that you, you know, were a lawyer, but you had no experience holding office and you just spoke with your friends and some family members and said, hey, I think this might be something I want to do. What are your thoughts and advice for people running for office who've never held office before? Do it. (laughs) <laughs> do it. <laughs> Just do it. I'm going to be honest. Men don't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Men, once they decide, it does not matter what their experience is. It does not matter what their qualifications are. They're just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Women stop and ask themselves like, well, am I qualified? Like, what have I done to prepare me for this? And we just need to stop um, because women run the world 
they just don't give us credit for it. So, <laughs> so just, you know, just do it. And, and I think find start with your friends and family. Cause the hardest thing for any candidate is, is raising money and raising your network and getting your name out in front of people and learning to talk about yourself and, and brag on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but you start with your friends and family and your, your crew and get them to support you and then spread out from there. Um, so, and yeah, there's some trainings that people can take, but at the end of the day, it's just all about learning how to sell yourself, which again, men don't have a problem doing, Mm -hmm. um, but women, women tend to not want to brag. Um, but just get over that. <laughs> what what has that been like running during a pandemic? I mean, and how, what is the difference now? Oh, it's very hard. It, you know, I'm I'm an empath, and my original plan was, you know, we adjourned session on March 12th, and my original plan was, you know, do the 30 day victory lap and talk about all the great things that we did and that I did, and then launch in April and then go travel around the state and meet as many people as possible and raise money and all that. Five minutes after we adjourned, the governor declared a state of emergency. And I immediately went into crisis mode, fielding calls from constituents, um, you know, trying to get information to them about COVID and, and what to do. And I felt every problem that people had. And then at the same time, like my kid, you know, their school shut down. So I'm trying to deal with that. And I really had a hard time switching from empath crisis mode to, okay, I can help more people when I'm elected governor. So maybe I need to focus a little bit more, which may feel selfish, but really isn't. Mm. And just find that balance. And I think Mm -hmm. it took probably a good month of like, just get through crisis mode and then get back on track to, to, to start to run. But all the fun parts about campaigning are gone. <laughs> or most of them, like, you know, the rallies and being out. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss people. Um, uh, you know, the Democratic National Convention would have been like an amazing opportunity. Um, but you just, you, you make your own opportunities now. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're doing virtual meet and greets and fundraisers. And I'm helping 2020 candidates because this is an existential year um, and, and just grinding it out. And I'm in, I'm actually, I'm in my daughter's room right now. It's like turned it into my office slash Zoom room. I noticed the pink walls. They're really cute, the pale pink. (laughs) And I just kind of grind it out in here, um, Mm -hmm. meeting as many people as possible, raising as much money as possible um, and just spreading the word about my campaign and why, why it's important who the governor is. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing from the people of Virginia right now? I mean, obviously, there's so much. There's health pandemic, social unrest, a nation divided, financial crisis. I mean, we we were talking at the beginning before we started recording that, you know, we're the whole West Coast is on fire. You know, the climate crisis. Also, you know, the incredible Black Lives Matter movement, which the long overdue reckoning on the systemic racism that's existed in this country forever um essentially where do you start what are you hearing from people in addressing essentially all of those things right yeah i think um it's different by generation 
So what I hear among Gen Z is a, a growing loss of faith in government's ability to solve their problem or even care. Um, and, and why, and does it matter? Um, which started to change with the protest. Cause I think, I think George Floyd was the moment when everybody said like enough. Um, and like, we cannot ignore, like we can't deny it anymore. We can't ignore it anymore. We can't accept no for an answer. And so I've seen a lot of Gen Z kids leading the protests and leading the charge. And they're like, okay, like what, like, tell me what to do. Like, here are my demands. How do I make them happen? Um, I hear, and then, you know, parents and people who have jobs are just trying to figure out how to balance and find normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's anger and frustration that we are where we are and like, how do we get through it? You know, a lot of people who have lost their jobs, you know, businesses that are gone and may never come back and the despair with that. And so there's a lot of like, how do we recover and how do we find normal? Mm. But, but there's also an amazing amount of hope because it's almost like we as a nation have hit rock bottom. And so we can rebuild better to steal Joe Biden's build back better phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, We can rebuild better because if we're just going back to where we were in March, it's not good enough. So let's rebuild, you know, the biggest, the biggest argument against change was always like, well, this is the way it's always been. And it's like, yeah, but that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And, and we're never going back there. Like, just like, we can't go back there because so much has changed because of COVID that I think is going to be permanent that we've got to figure out what is the new normal and move forward. And this is like a transformative moment, just like my parents lived through after the depression, just like, you know, in, you know, after the Vietnam war and in the sixties, like this is the next transformative moment for us as a nation Mm -hmm. and as a Commonwealth. And there's hope in that because we can do it better. Mm. It's interesting. You touched on, uh, you know, regression and the younger generation. And, um, I was reading an article on you and how you sat next to a young woman and she was discussing how she'd only ever seen regression because she grew up with Obama in office and then now is seeing Trump and she feels like, what's the point in trying? And so what is it that we can do to make sure people continually are inspired to vote and remind them that their vote counts? I think, um, and she now works for me, by the way. Alicia. Oh, no way. That's, That's awesome. a great yeah, story. She does. Forgive me. Uh, I forgot her name. Yeah. Alicia. Um, Alicia. It's, it's, I, I think making people understand, and I think it's easier now how it matters. Like government matters. Um, it matters in a crisis for sure. Mm but it matters day to day because everything government does affects our lives in every possible way. So for the, for her generation, um, and what I said to her basically was if you are not part of the solution, it'll never get better. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
helping them see how it's not just about showing up and voting, but showing up in city, you know, city hall or the state legislature and Congress and, and telling people your stories. Um, because at the end of the day, everybody's political views and their policy views are shaped by their life experiences. And, and, but those bodies aren't diverse. So if we are not telling our life experiences to people in power, and if we are not trying to put ourselves in position of power, then government will never truly be by and for all the people. Mm. And so I invited her, you know, I invited her to come start, you know, working for me in my office and, and eventually brought her on on staff and she's working on my campaign. Mm. Um, and I, and that's really just showing people how you can make a difference. Right. But you got to show up. You have to show up. And in you running, I would like to say when you win, um, <laughs> you would be the first black female governor of Virginia. And does that factor, like, do you think about that often, like while you're campaigning? Um, is that something that you've really thought about and intentionally this year during your campaign? Yeah, I'll actually be the first in the country. Oh and, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been Stacey Abrams, but she run. But yeah. um, I do think about it. I mean, that's not why I'm running, but I Of course I not, way, but yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the weight of it. And mm. um in in part because like one of my favorite phrases is like you are your ancestors' wildest dreams. And like that is I feel that. Every pop, you know, a lot of the bills that I introduced, I've got a personal connection. I've got a personal story. Like, you know, the domestic worker bill of rights, every woman in my mom's side of the family was a domestic worker. Those are, those are experiences I can help elevate. And I bring a perspective that, that, that hasn't been told. Um, but I can also help bring people together because I have a perspective that's never been there before. Um, and hopefully inspire somebody else to do it. But um, so I feel it every day. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you inspire people to do this. I know that you do. Um, what do you want to say to young women who are listening and maybe feel they want to run for office one day? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, do it. Just do, do it, it, guys. <laughs> well, and I would say first, really ask yourself why. Because it, it, I know this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, it is going to be a year of really grueling work that takes me away from my family sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when you get tired, which you will, and when you get discouraged, you have to be able to go back to your core and say, why am I doing this? And that will fuel you to keep going because people are going to say nasty things about you. People are going to pay too much attention to what you wear, you know, what your hair looks like. Um, you know, I was once called the Barbie of the house of delegates. Um, and asking people for money is not fun. <laughs> um, putting yourself out there, um, potentially in danger is not fun. Mm -hmm. So be sure that you're doing it 
for a reason that'll take you through the dark times. Because if you do, it'll be worth it. In 2021, day one of being governor of Virginia, what would you do? What would be your main focus? Uh, our education system. So, so building a world-class education system from early childhood through higher ed, because I think that is the key to our economic um, recovery, both short-term and long-term. Um, and that's like my number one passion. And I think, um, and it'll probably take the full four years to do everything that we need to do here in Virginia. Um, but then also helping us immediately start to rebuild our economy in a way that doesn't leave anybody behind. Mm. Um, and I am, I am hopeful we will have a vaccine and, and, and at least be through the health pandemic. Um, I'm preparing in case we aren't, uh, but, but I'm hopeful that we'll be more in recovery phase and those will be my, my top two priorities. Well, Senator McClellan, we are so grateful that you were able to join us today. And we're going to have all of your websites and where all of our listeners can find you in our show notes. Um, are you also active on social media in case anyone yes. wants to follow you on the gram? I <laughs> am. The kids? I am. So uh, Instagram and Twitter are both um, Jen McClellan VA with two N's. Um, I can't remember what my Facebook is, but everything's on my website. And I actually do my own social media, um, which is and you'll see just how big a nerd I am if you're on there. <laughs> oh I love it wow <laughs> having someone like you in office is truly inspiring and being able to sit down with you today has just exceeded oh, every you. expectation thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us um, we're you. just so honored and we wish you the best of luck well thank you for having me and and good luck with you guys and um thank you for what you do you know had I not gone into politics I would have gone into acting I actually had to make a choice when I went to college so yeah the theater track or the political track and I chose the political track you know what it goes both ways I'm sure yeah. we can we definitely <laughs> when you're in an audition room with 20 people that look exactly like you like talking about you know zombies it can go both ways <laughs> yeah. well when I'm governor you all can come film something in Virginia and then you'll give me a give me a cameo and we'll have fun Yay, <laughs> perfect. Done. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. It's Thank been you. an honor. I just got so excited to vote. <laughs> like I know right. I can't vote for her, but like I'm really excited. I hope if you're in Virginia and you're listening to this, you are very excited to go to and we learned a new word before we started recording with her, didn't we, Kayla? Gubernatorial gubernatorial yes we, yes we did we 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 thought we knew what it was but we just wanted to make sure and turns out we were correct but you know now we know how to pronounce it um one of my favorite things that she said that i wrote down immediately was you are your ancestors wildest dreams and i don't know of anything more inspiring than that to make you want to be your best self to make you want to inspire change and i i I mean, I, I can only imagine how her ancestors feel looking down on her right now. I mean, we listed that list of everything she had done. It, and she says, oh, all of that happened this past year. I mean, <laughs> hands down, I could bow down to her. I think she is phenomenal. And I, it does make me want to move to Virginia and be able to vote in 2021 for her because I just think she is fantastic. I know. I loved also every time she'd kind of talk about you know, goals that she had set for herself in her own life. She'd say, you know, I thought, okay, 
you have the kids or you get married, you have kids and then maybe I'll get into politics or, you know, eventually maybe I'll retire and then kind of do that or I'll, from being a lawyer or eventually when the kids are older, maybe I'll run for governor. And right. she's in just that realization of like, no, I'm going to do it now, mm-hmm. you know, and this incredible reminder that as women, we don't need to have this laundry list of, of accolades to show, to prove to the world that like, we are so insanely capable. I mean, you have to learn as you go and you have Mm -hmm. to get in there. You can't, you know, that's part of it. No one is born just knowing how to do all of those things. No one's born being like, well, I automatically know how to be a lawyer. No, you go to school um, and, you know, I know exactly how to, you know, serve as a delegate. No, you, you end up on the floor, you know, and you hope that everything that's led you to that moment, uh, prepares you the best it can. Um, gosh, right. I'm, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. And so am I in the Senator's words, do it. If anyone is, if you can take anything away from this episode, if there's something you've been wanting to try or you've been toying with, stop thinking you might want to do it, just do it. Just do it. There's a call. You have a calling. Go for it. I just also want to give one more shout out. A few weeks ago, we had an episode um, discussing Emerge America. So if you are considering getting involved in politics and you don't know where to start, um, they specifically are a community for Democratic women who want to run for office and that need a place to start. So check out Emerge America. Um, and obviously, Senator McClellan's incredible advice. Just do it. Just do it. We need more women in office. That's right. And um, we hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and are just as inspired as we are. We have another awesome episode for you next week. We'll see you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com